Presses Play. Hey everyone, and welcome to Girl Presses Play, the movie podcast where we talk about films, what we think about them, and what makes them so damn great. I'm your host, Alana Rafferty. Get comfy, grab some popcorn, and get ready, because we're about to press play. And now for our feature presentation. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Girl Presses Play for the epic season finale of our epic superhero season. Today, we are doing something a skosh different. In fact, we're actually doing something kind of sort of really different. We're not talking movies. We're talking TV. I know, major plot twist, but we had to shake up the ratings somehow. But in all seriousness, I think in regards to the development of superhero stories on screen, TV shows like Arrow, The Boys, and especially something like WandaVision, are hugely important to understanding how these stories are told and perceived. But I am not a TV writer by any means, so I brought in a professional TV writer, Jessica Chen, to talk about these very important things with me. So let's get ready to talk about superheroes on TV for our Celluloid Superheroes season finale, featuring The Boys, Arrow, WandaVision, and many more. City-based Taiwanese-American television writer, actress, and sometimes producer. Originally from Rockville, Maryland, Jess's work combines elements of Western Asian media and culture to explore themes of identity, love, womanhood, and becoming an adult. Her original pilot, Drama High, has screened at over 10 international film and TV festivals, and her current mockumentary web series, Please Help, has also recently been selected by the Georgia Comedy Film Festival and will be screening December 6th. So yes. if you're in the Georgia area, definitely check that out. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, please welcome the very awesome and very talented Jessica Chen. Ooh. Jessica, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Of course. It. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> uh, wouldn't I've actually been kind of wanting to figure out an episode to bring you on. And now that we're like back on TV, because you and like all of my very talented TV writer friends, I'm like, but we almost only talk about movies. How do I mean, I also like, like movies. <laughs> exactly. That's yeah. true. No, that's true. You also like movies. That is a good point. Um, yeah. But we're here to talk about superheroes on TV. We got to yes. get serious about it. Yes. So I guess as someone who definitely writes more TV than me, because just for yeah. context, lovely people listening, I really almost only exclusively write films nothing wrong with tv i love tv but i do feel like writing for tv is a very different structure oh yes so do you think there with that very different structure do you think there are any advantages to telling superhero stories on tv rather than on the big screen or do you think there are any limitations to either of the mediums um i think for sure with tv it's like with any anything in the tv medium you get to spend much more time with each character if that makes sense and if you think about that our last superhero stories they're usually involved some kind of team and we have multiple characters in an ensemble like that unless you do something really extreme like the mcu where you have multiple movies to build up 
that entire team and what they do, then you usually end up with like a Justice League situation where like you have a bunch <laughs> of characters who people don't really, well, they sort of know, but they also haven't seen fully developed on screen. And that makes, makes sense in the Zack Snyder way, I guess. And so like, we don't have that time, but with like TV, you get much more time to develop things. And also for me personally, as a writer, one of the first things I write when I'm trying to come up with a TV show idea is something called like a series Bible, which for me is mm-hmm. where you come up with a lot of the lore for your show in a way. So that helps you build a much more, I think, nuanced world or how, how do your superpowers work and stuff like that. Well, I also wonder, since a lot of TV shows, with the exception of one or two every now and then, they have some sort of writer's room. So they have yes. multiple people tackling these really big, complex lores. And not yes. to say, for example, Michael Waldron writing Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. It's not saying, oh, he's not capable or talented enough or anything. No. But yeah. there's just, you know, multiple brains helping you keeping track of all the superpowers and the themes and this character and that character. So that yeah. probably has to be an advantage too. Yeah. And also, well, just you also can draw from a more multitude of experiences with it. And keeping mm-hmm. track of the lore that technically is the job of the series bible because that's what those documents are for i guess for context most of the time tv shows have a series bible so that in case they need to bring writers on later in another season they can just go through the bible and know like where everyone's at all the characters are in their season arcs and stuff and that makes sense i actually never thought of it for that purpose i always thought a series bible was more of since you pitch a whole movie to producers, you pitch mm-hmm. a series Bible to producers so they generally know. Where no. It's go. I never thought of it <laughs> yeah. in the context of like, oh, you need it for people who are coming on in season two, season three, yeah. season four. So they can always know where things are and they don't have to like watch, I don't know, like 10 seasons of, of Arrow. I don't know, like how many seasons that show has to like to get up to speed. I mean, even one season, you know, I'm just thinking of, it's a very different show, but I'm thinking of like Insecure, where if you Mm. came on halfway through season two, Mm. that's still, you know, like at least five hours of TV, you still have to do your job, which, exactly, you know, time is time. But yeah, that's really interesting. I never thought of like, not just the time element, speaking of that, but all those different elements of there's a series Bible and you have more perspectives and just more brain power behind writing the episodes, Mm -hmm. which I don't want to say makes TV better than film, but I do think it allows for more collaboration. Yeah, more collaboration, more voices voices, and definitely like a more novelistic style of storytelling because I feel like, I mean, comic books are books, they are a type of book, but I feel like a lot of novels I've seen adapted into a film, they have to make a good amount of changes for it to work. Whereas I feel mm. like I've seen more books adapted into some sort of mini series or TV series where yeah. it feels a little bit more true to the source material. Yeah, because you get more time, I guess, to really delve into everything. And like most TV shows do end up with writers from for that reason, unless you're like the guy who did Euphoria. So this is <laughs> this is my this might be something I never actually spoke to you about, but like I actually wrote an original superhero pilot my second semester in my MFA program. And like for those characters, I actually based them on either people I knew or like people's backgrounds that I knew that make sense, their identities. Oh my God, how did I not bring you on earlier in this season? You've actually written a superhero script. Yeah, and it was like also really fascinating because that one actually did pretty well. It got like a quarter finalist in like this emerging writers action adventure screenplay contest, mm-hmm. and then awesome. was almost picked up to be like a adapted into like an audio drama. That's and like awesome. that would have been cool. 
It's yeah, because awesome. it's a lot so easier to make an audio drama than it is to shoot a whole superhero thing. I think yeah. the whole reason why I wrote it yeah. was because the second semester of my free program, I knew we didn't have to actually shoot it. And so I was like, I can finally go nuts. It's been years since I've like written anything that w- I didn't have to think about production budget. I'm sure as a filmmaker yourself, who's also a writer, you you have that brain when you're like writing mm-hmm. something like, ah, mm-hmm. can we actually pull this off? You know, yep, we have the budget to pull this off. You know, The toggling between the two sides of the brain is, I don't want to say it's hard, but you have to find the balance because you can't go to writer, then you can't go to producer. You have to figure out, okay, how do these two sides of my brain walk down the same path that is this script? Yeah, you, know? but you can't deny the informs your writing which is why i do think it's really important for screenwriters to have worked on set to understand like production a little bit because it does change the way you approach your writing yeah for or better even for send it to a friend who has worked in production and mm-hmm. just ask like is this possible what are some giant <laughs> red flags mm-hmm. you know what are some things that are just you know going to skyrocket the budget i think that is very sage advice is even just for learning camera angles and yeah seeing people work with actors and things like that just getting on set and seeing how yeah how happens. do you depict something on screen what goes into making that image how would you choose to depict this emotion and this action in your writing yeah. sage advice from jessica chen everybody it was like <laughs> i don't know how to segue into a thing so i'm just gonna say it was really good advice um, yeah you know what i was actually just thinking about is mm-hmm. this is more kind of not post wandavision but i feel like it's kind of a recent superhero story that i think is very specific to tv mm-hmm. is the like very violent very irreverent it has a very particular kind of meta yeah kind yeah. of meta humor and is kind of pessimistic. So I'm talking like the boys, Titan, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. even to some extent shows like Invincible and the mm-hmm. Umbrella Academy. Why do you think, and granted a lot of these, I would say almost all of these are on some sort of streaming platform. So they right. don't have to worry about, you know, passing certain censors or you know right. advertisers being happy with the amount of violence or lack thereof on right. film. So, right, right, right. you know, I'd get that some of it is involved. Or film ratings, I guess. Yeah, or film the ratings. Movies. So they don't yeah. have to worry about nc-17 exactly they don't have to worry about (laughs) nc-17 they don't have to worry about like for example there's a lot of marvel movies that try really hard to appeal to the i forget what they're called but it's whoever decides a movie can be screened in china which is oh yeah the government (laughs) yeah thank you the government was like i feel like it's a certain section of government we can just say the government um yeah but yeah communist party (laughs) i do understand that like those two very practical elements have kind of fed into this ultra-violent, pessimistic superhero show craze. But why do you think that culturally people are responding to it so well? And it it seems to thrive in the TV world or shows like The Boys and Invincible and Titans and the Umbrella Academy. Honestly, I'm not sure other than the practical reasons of the ratings and like having to deal with like going past censors and stuff. I'm not sure what beyond that actually would be the reason for it but also i do think the reason they exist could be because they seem like the anti-marvel if that makes sense and i feel like after having yeah. so much like disney and marvel around i feel like people get sick of it and they want to see like, a smart hopefully takedown of it and show that these superheroes aren't all captain america you know <laughs> aren't mm-hmm. like squeaky clean do-gooders and that makes sense and that if you punch someone into a building someone's bones are gonna break you know like <laughs> <laughs> 
Because, like, that happens in Marvel. Like, people are thrown the buildings and they they walk it off and you're like, this this don't make sense. Like, we like, this wouldn't happen. Well, you bring up a good point because I also feel like they're kind of in contrast to the DC, mostly the Zack Snyder films in the yeah. DC universe that are, like, yeah. very serious and very much about <laughs> Almost too morality much so. and justice and they're super, you know, heavy. And Sometimes to their detriment. Of, exactly. And there's not a lot of... There's moments of heaviness, but the tone itself isn't very heavy and kind of dutiful, if that makes sense. Like Superman the DCEU? and Wonder Woman and Batman, yeah, they all have a very like deep sense of duty, whereas the boys, yeah. they're all just like running amok all the time and invincible. You know, he's a teenage boy, so of course he's going to use his powers for some ridiculous endeavors. Yeah. Um, so I feel but like I it's like... very much anti-Marvel and anti- not anti-Marvel, but... It serves the market that doesn't want to watch Marvel or DC, maybe. Yeah. And also, I think it makes people, makes characters that seem a little bit more real is what sounds like a standard that people maybe can see themselves more in. And if it's on TV, the other thing I can think of is that people always say, and this is not to knock on film, but they always say that TV is a little bit more ahead of the times than film. Like when things change in the zeitgeist, TV is more likely to catch up and then film comes later. So that's why you see a lot more diversity in TV shows and things like that than film. Mm -hmm. And that could just be a gatekeeper situation. Yeah, I never really thought about it. I mean, I'm sure it was in the back of my mind that my guess is when you add it all up, it takes a little bit shorter time to make certain TV shows. Like House of the Dragon probably takes 50,000 years. But, you know, a show like The Boys or Invincible probably takes a lot less time collectively than it does to make a movie. Yeah, but also, like, they're more willing to take chances on diversity. Because if I remember correctly, Invincible is about, like, an Asian American teen, which is interesting because, like, yes, you don't, that's correct. You, you don't see that much outside of, like, I guess Shang-Chi, but, like, I don't know. But that's also pretty recent. So I don't know. Like, I think it might also just be that TV is a little bit more on the ball with diversity and being willing to show this kind of story than film is. Yeah, that's a good point. It'd be hard to get a Miss Marvel movie made, but it's mm-hmm. easier somehow to get a Miss Marvel TV, TV show made. made. Yeah, And I wonder if there's some kind of psychology behind this idea that people are maybe now a little more willing to take a chance on a TV show audience-wise than a movie. Like if they go to pay for a movie... yes. They're locked in. Exactly what they're getting. Exactly. They're locked in, unless they're like on a streaming service. But like, you know, a streaming service, you can flip back and forth in a bit. Yeah, or even just the kind of economics of a streaming service. Okay, well, I'm paying $5.99 for Disney Plus. I think that's what it costs these days. And I get all of these shows. I guess I could take a chance on Miss Marvel or She Hulk, Attorney at Law or whatever. Right, right. And then you're right. Yeah, if they don't like it, they just pause it and they go do something else and right. they try another show. Right, exactly. And it's Disney doesn't care then because they still have your subscription money. So it's fine. Oddly, it's like everyone wins. They get your subscription money. You get much more choice. Everyone's happy. Except for the actual product because then like the film or the TV show may or may not be seen, I guess. That's, That's the a only fair sad point. bit. That's a fair point. I do think about that with streaming, how like things can kind of fall into the... I don't want to say the big black hole, but yeah. like if you walk into the New York Public Library, or actually a better example is like in Beauty and the Beast when she walks into the library and sees mm-hmm. all of those books and somehow she's like, oh, it's beautiful. Whereas everyone else would be like, uh, 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 uh-huh. which one do I use? Which one do I write? Which yeah. one do I read? Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like you can see that now, especially because you think about it, like, I honestly believe 
because you know tv used to be such a much more like collective experience like there are a few tv shows that you know everyone has everyone has seen or they'll discuss at the metaphorical water cooler or whatever Mm -hmm. but like i feel like the last big show that happened with was like game of thrones yeah i can't really really think of another show even like for for example future seasons of like stranger things or something i don't think they've had the same cultural draw I think they did, but I think the way that Stranger Things is released, because if I'm correct, they do the all everything at once. Everything at once. Yeah. I think there's the water cooler moment, but it's a much shorter water cooler moment. Yeah. If that makes sense, as opposed to Game of Thrones, which lasted an entire year. So every Mm -hmm. Monday you come into work. Did you see Did you see that crazy shit that happened on Oh, I don't know if we're allowed to swear on this. I can just drop the audio. It's all good. I've had that happen multiple times on this show. Did you see the crazy stuff that happened on, on Game of Thrones? Like, <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point that, like, I don't know if the water cooler moment has disappeared, but it's definitely changed. But like, do you think that could very, happen? very, very condensed. Yeah, but do you think that could also feed into why you have these more extreme superhero shows, though? Because they're trying to elicit that kind of response. Like, That is a very good point. I do see... I could conceptualize people because Game of Thrones was kind of like, like that. Like it was pretty extreme. Yeah, people Game of Thrones was like, oh, crazy violent. That someone died. Crazy yeah. So I could you know? see execs, for lack of a better word, feeling like, okay, in order to not get lost in like the shuffle of content, yeah, we out. need to stick out in some way. What like The Boys, which is known for its ultra violence, or Umbrella Academy, has a very like weird irreverent kind of emo i mean it was written by gerard wake so of course it's gonna be a little emo we but like you know it's the emo gerard way show i know that explains so much um, like my middle school <laughs> my chemical romance fan was like oh uh, my little early 2000s heart just sings my little yeah. black 2000s heart yeah um but yeah i think that's a good point that there's this need to stand out from the rest of the pack and i think that's why for me I like Arrow and I like The Flash and I like Legends of Tomorrow, but they had, ironically enough, they had kind of the Marvel thing of there's a very consistent tone in all of them and they did do a lot of crossover. Yeah. And then in 2021, when WandaVision came out and it was really the first like Marvel series to be released on Disney Plus, that did Mm -hmm. kind of feel like a water cooler moment. Everyone kept telling me to watch it. I'm one of those crazy people where like if you keep telling me to watch something, I will I will like dig in my heels and not watch it until like years or months later. Note to self, (laughs) use reverse psychology on Jessica Chen. I mean, I do think it was interesting because a fun little trivia factoid, because of the pandemic, it shuffled around phase Mm. three's release calendar a lot so Mm -hmm. wandavision was actually supposed to come out after falcon and the winter soldier but i think wandavision (laughs) wrapped production much earlier than falcon and the winter soldier where i watched the little the documentary and they literally were like evacuating people out of the czech republic where they were filming because the pandemic was causing lockdowns and also i'm assuming if wandavision because all i know about it is like it's sort of sitcom-y but that's all like a lie or something essentially and like and so like if it's mostly on a sitcom set that's much easier to shoot in covid than like in the czech republic i would assume yeah that's a really good point i would say up until without spoiling too much for those who haven't seen it the second to last episode you're right it's very much a controlled environment yeah. mostly like closed studio sets actually no i'll say by seat by episode probably 
four or five, it expands a little bit to the outside world, but you're right. It's mostly reviving that kind of like TV studio set, which is a much more controlled environment, especially during something like a pandemic. Yeah. I mean, that's why it was like, what was it? The Mandalorian thing was okay to shoot during COVID because that's all in a set. It's interesting to think about because I do think WandaVision also kind of revives that like, oh, it's all filmed instead of in front of a live studio audience because I know the first one they shot in front of a live studio audience. The second one, I can't remember. Hmm. Interesting. But I feel like that's maybe one of the reasons why people loved it so much was, first of all, we were watching a million hours of TV during lockdown. (laughs) And there was that element of we're all just kind of living our lives through television. So it felt probably very resonant to people. Yeah, like kind of like what you were saying, where there's just more time to build certain relationships and there's more risks you can take with the story. So yeah, it tends to resonate a little bit more with people. And it actually, Miss Marvel kind of reminded me of WandaVision a little bit in that they both had such distinct visual styles and mm. artistic styles mm. that you really felt the directors going like, this is what I want to say. This is what this we're project. going for, bro. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is what I'm going for. Yeah, and like I think a lot of the reason why I think superhero stories are also very suited for TV adaptation in a way is oddly enough because there is a source material there. Because I remember like in our final, we our final project for MFA is we had to, they invited some industry people. So we had to like pitch a TV show that we had, an original TV show we had thought of over the course of our program to these execs. One of my fellow students decided to pitch an original fantasy pilot. And like there was one of the people there was like a manager like a literary manager and she, he was like your idea sounds really cool but it's never gonna get made and the reason why was because like he said and he was like think back to the past 10 years and every single fantasy show ever made they're all based on previous ip because mm-hmm. if you're gonna do a fantasy thing or something like that you're gonna be spending a lot of money building sets getting the costumes right and everything and so like it's just impossible to no studio is going to be willing to risk that much money for something they, that's not tested, you know. And I feel like with superhero stuff, it's similar because you also need to think about all the CG or like the costumes and everything for like all your heroes and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it helps when you have a superhero property because usually they have a comic book fan base that's already built in. So people might feel a little bit more safe about it. Yeah, well, I also wonder how much you can tell your own story through these comic books because comic book audiences and comic book readers are used to the stories of their superheroes and Mm -hmm. supervillains changing Mm -hmm. in little ways or Mm -hmm. big ways all the time. So, you know, there's a couple of different Thors. There's, you know... Yeah, a couple of different Miles versions. Morales versus <laughs> exactly. There's a million different Spider-Mans. There's like alternate timelines now that we're experimenting. So I do wonder if maybe the bright side of that is specifically with comic books that built in, name. like every author kind of brings their own take to Batman or something yeah. like that. There's a little bit of that. You can have your own voice shine through in this pre-existing IP. It just has to be through a pre-existing IP. Yeah, and that's kind of reason why like my idea was first taken to audio drama scripted podcast first because mm-hmm, that's a lot yeah. less expensive to shoot the idea was that would have been our backdoor way into making it into a tv show just like how like neil gaiman's the sandman was like a comic book and then it was like an audio drama and then it became like a t- netflix tv show to like build a fan base that way but like for me like i think the reason why it almost made it is because i was very much influenced and inspired by like superhero origin stories and like all the tropes and stuff because i'm such a massive fan but what i wanted to do was I wanted to use the things that we're familiar with to talk about something that's a little bit more personal, I guess. Because the way I set up, I don't know if this is like interesting to people or not, 
<laughs> feel free it to cut this out. But I like find one, it interesting at the one of the least. things I wanted to do was to talk about identity, right? So all the characters are like either they are all reincarnated Chinese mythological figures. And so like at first they don't know who they got, essentially. It's almost like a lottery. And so in order to access their powers, they have to actually find out who they are. And I thought that would be a really wonderful metaphor for it. I think people like me who are Asian American who grew up influenced by both cultures. I, like, I honestly feel like people with my, like, a similar identity to mine, the best way to self-actualize is to become very familiar with who you are, both sides of your identity. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense. Like, once you actually can understand and can reconcile everything, then I think you are a much happier person. <laughs> and I feel like I wanted to use, metaphorize that process, that journey that I've been on personally in my life. I'm sure, like, most people go on in, but in a superhero context. Mm -hmm. One wonderful thing about superhero stories is like, I think they're similar to how we look at sci-fi or fantasy. It creates enough distance from the serious topic for you to think about and consider it seriously without feeling defensive or attacked, if that makes sense. I don't know if that made sense at no, all. No, it totally does. And it makes me think of, I guess you would say the latest TV project to come out of Marvel is Werewolf by Night, where not to spoil mm -hmm. too much for those who haven't seen it, because it's really good. <laughs> Mm -hmm. But there's one moment where the werewolf by night says family mm -hmm. and what you experienced in your family. It's like an atmosphere, you know, mm -hmm. you can try to get out of it and try to get rid of it. But it's always just kind of floating around you every day. And affecting and, you, I'm sure. And affecting you. And I feel like there was a little bit of that. I mean, I think they would have explored it more in a feature because it's only an hour. But there was definitely that feeling of like, do you get to choose to be a monster? Or are you inherently a monster? Right. Or just society make you a monster? And Which is definitely something we think about. I think a lot of people relate to that, especially if they come from troubled family backgrounds. But also you see that a lot in terms of like using superhero stories to talk about much more serious things, like people saying that X-Men is like a metaphor for like LGBTQ stuff, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's a, it just creates enough distance so that, for example, people who are homophobic can like X-Men and think about that subject without linking it directly to LGBTQ or things that might make them feel like uncomfortable or something like that or like Ugh, defensive or something like that. Yeah, it's almost like a subconscious. It makes yeah. a good association with something that might represent Or it makes you like start thinking. Yeah, exactly. In a way exactly. that you might not have been thinking. And like it's the same way with how Godzilla was made. They, the Japanese people were that had just been, you know, they just had the atom bomb dropped on them yeah. not that long ago. And so Godzilla was made to like for them to consider how like that nation was feeling at the time. Godzilla the monster was a metaphor for the atom bomb. So I don't know if you knew that or not, but <laughs> I did know that. Yeah. And I also thought of it in the way that an atom bomb, obviously horrible to the people that mm -hmm. it's dropped on, but also the idea of the atom bomb almost kind of being a perversion of nature mm -hmm. and Godzilla representing almost mother nature, for lack of a better word, being like, yeah, and also be like stop it right now also if you see like a, the the kind of weird laser flame mm -hmm. type of thing that breathes out like very much like nuclear waste and stuff like that it's not super subtle <laughs> no it's not subtle i mean it's great it's a classic yeah. but it's not subtle yeah which is why like i think a lot of times oftentimes people dismiss superhero stories but i think a lot of times it's just an interesting way to engage people in a subject matter they might, might not think about too much or like in an indirect way to get them to start thinking about it Oh, yeah. I mean, I was watching, I brought up Miss Marvel a lot because it's really great. Everyone should watch it. 
Yes. Um, but she's a Pakistani American girl. And so without spoiling too much again, there's this whole episode where it really gets into the partition of India and Pakistan Ooh. <laughs> and the way that it depicts it and talks about it. I'm just sitting there going, okay, I knew this happened, but for lack of a better phrase, I didn't feel how it happened and really think about how that must have affected people for generations. Cause it talks oh, about yeah. how, you know, it affects her, you know, three generations if I'm doing the math correctly removed from the partition so oh yeah that's exactly the way i felt at the beginning of hbo's watchmen if you know what scene that's i'm talking about i haven't watched i just oh, need goodness. to like sit and binge it that that was a really wonderful series i like watched it all the way through but like that first scene like even though i knew theoretically i don't know if you know how it opens is that the episode because i know there's an episode about the tulsa massacre yes Oh, As it opens the very with the first, Massacre. it opens oh, with damn. the Tulsa okay. Massacre. And that's something I knew about. Like, I'd read about it in, like, a history textbook kind of context. Mm-hmm. But, like, seeing it was, like, another situation. I mean, I know this is audio, so you can't tell, but I guess, necessarily. But I am not a Black person. But even so, like, when I watched it, I was like, I could feel it. You know what I mean? It was just very, very close to tears watching it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, what decent human being wouldn't when watching either of those horrible, horrible atrocities <laughs> take place, you know? Yeah, but it does, like, just, it does immerse you in it. And it's like, mm-hmm. I know this is not a superhero show, but, like, I also felt very similarly about Warrior. The way I, I, I would describe to people who want to know whether or not this is their vibe is, like, what if Peaky Blinders took place in 1870s Chinatown and there were a lot more Asian people in it? Like, I would Done. Like, I'm sold. You know I mean? That's what it feels like. watch it. Yeah, but, like, the thing is, this was another one of those shows where everyone was like, you need to watch this. And I was like, is it because I'm an Asian person? <laughs> Which, unfortunately, <laughs> it's kind of like shadow kind of doubt. But mm-hmm. I started watching it one day because I didn't know what else to watch. And I, like, was, like, stunned that no one thought to warn me because like mm-hmm. it takes place in the 1870s and like for lack of a better word like people were like they were calling Chinese men these Chinese people like very bad racial slurs that we don't repeat in, nowadays in polite company obviously and also like people were being like lynched in the streets and stuff mm-hmm. and I was like did no one stop and think how I would feel watching this because I was surprised I was like what is happening I mean I should have like guessed it but I was just like I was taken aback and I was like I feel like there should have been some kind of warning for no, me. I under- understand how you felt i mean that's honestly i've never had a child but that's how i felt watching the c-section scene on house of the dragon i was like oh goodness i can't watch this like at one point i just had to cover my eyes honestly that's why i skipped the twilight movie about when she gives birth that's why (laughs) i mean i skipped the twilight movie for another reason (laughs) yeah i do i do also think to kind of go back to all the like violent and irreverent superhero shows, I do think the violence of Watchmen or Warrior would be more palatable for me than something like The Boys or really? Peacemaker, just because I don't like when violence isn't taken seriously. Oh, because it feels kind of disrespectful. Issue. Yeah, like it feels disrespectful. For human life, I guess. Like, you know, someone just got like brutally murdered, essentially, and it's supposed to be kind of like funny. Uh Funny, whereas Watchmen, from what I understand of it, like, you're not supposed to laugh at any oh, of no. the violence that Oh, oh no. That would have been... You would have to be a pretty twisted person and be like, haha, that's hilarious. You know? Yeah, I mean, obviously everyone like has their limits and maybe someone's the complete opposite. But yeah, I actually do appreciate when something like a Watchman or a warrior kind of takes the trauma that happens on screen seriously. 
I guess but there's also that argument that talks about whether or not like we want to be in that situation all the time because people sometimes worry about you know when people profit off of trauma like you know that's there's also like like, you know it's cool that there's awareness being brought to this situation because I don't think people I do feel like this might be a gross generalization but I feel like most people's knowledge of like discrimination against Asian Americans at least because I feel like a lot of people think it's more benign like we didn't go through Mm -hmm. as much stuff because obviously we didn't go through slavery quite in the same way obviously we don't have that but in terms of violence toward people who look like me or my dad like that was still a thing and it's still very bad (laughs) yeah absolutely but i think people never saw it so like of course having awareness for that is good in a way but at the same time like i said like gotta warn people (laughs) like it's like it's not great that i was like thrown into that and i was like ah you know (laughs) yeah and i do wonder how much as like writers and creators of content how much we'll always be trying to figure out how to toe that line yeah how to balance that with like being respectful but also being honest but not making it, for lack of a better word, feel like, oh my God, like this is such a horrible like, not another one violent <laughs> exactly like what a slog or, or like I just can't put myself through that so I well, think that's like the eternal battle of the writer <laughs> well I think this is honestly on, this is I might be unrelated and feel free to cut this out but like that is honestly the question I was seeking to address in the third original pilot I wrote for my program <laughs> uh, we're like, leaving that in because everyone yeah. needs to know what a prolific writer you are young lady I mean that one it was because the basic concept concept is like it takes place in three different time periods and each one is like 150 years apart because it's about a pair of lovers who get kind of reincarnated i don't know why there's so much reincarnation in my stuff but like they get reincarnated each 150 years and most of the shows takes place in 2022 or like the present day but Mm -hmm. i chose like two other very specific time periods for it because 150 years before that is the 1870s so very similar to the time period of warrior except that i wanted it to be like right up when they were about to pass the chinese exclusion act Mm -hmm. and then like which is big deal and then the one time when america decided to bar an entire group of people from immigrating and then 150 years before that was the height of the qing dynasty so it was like a very prosperous culturally significant time in chinese history and so i was interested in knowing like how a group of people in this situation then decide to risk it all move to america and 150 years later endure you know lots of racism and you know oppression and being poor and stuff like that and then how that those same group of people then progresses to like asian americans now which is one of the most diverse demographic socioeconomically and stuff I wanted to talk about that stuff because I do think a lot of times, unless you really look for it, Asian American history is talked about in such bits and pieces. It's like we disappear from the timeline every few years or so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so like I wanted to talk about it. Like I wanted to talk about it in a way that didn't feel like a straight up documentary, but also felt like there was like a fantasy element. And honestly, the show is a mystery romance more than anything else because they're trying to figure out why they keep getting reincarnated because there was something that happened way back that caused this curse to happen on them very like sounds a little outlander-ish or like kind of i was thinking it felt uh, to tie it back to superheroes like very very like hawkman and hawk girl if you know what i'm talking about the dc canon yeah Yeah, a little bit or even um for those of you who saw black adam i guess you might have seen 
Aquaman for the first time on the big screen. <laughs> yeah, it also kind of reminds me a little bit of Black Panther in the way that the like Kingdom of Wakanda and T'Challa is very mm-hmm. heavily contrasted with Killmonger and yeah. the situation of Black Americans in America. I think, and you know, when you're cut off from your culture and history, exactly. I think there's yeah. a lot of like it sounds like there's a lot of like retracing of steps in your yeah. project, not just on a character sense, but kind of in a wider cultural sense oh yeah because i wanted to talk about like there's like so much stuff that's just not talk about and i don't know if i'm going to be the most gracious interpretation of the situation it just is not taught i don't know if it's like on purpose but like you know mm-hmm. like maliciously but like there's so many things that to me feel like I think it would change the way people thought about history if they knew so for example the one fact that i found recently that i was amazed by i didn't realize that the reason why we have birthright citizenship it's because of a Chinese man, a Chinese American man. Really? Yeah. I found that out and I was like, really? We did this and no one knows? Like, you know what I mean? Fascinating. Yeah. There was this one guy, I think the case is like one Kim Ark versus the United States or something like that. He was a person who had like a business that was both in China and America and he was traveling back and forth. And at one point, I think they passed it. I think it was the Chinese Exclusion Act. So he was trying to get back in, but then they were like, you're not a citizen. And he's like, but I was born here and I like have a life here like you know mm-hmm, let mm-hmm. me back in and he starts suing the government and because of that we have birthright citizenship which I think is fascinating because that's such yeah. a like American concept I think people don't understand how foreign a concept of is abroad birthright citizenship and I feel like people don't realize or think or wouldn't associate that with Asian Americans because we seem we always seem like a guest in this house and that makes sense no absolutely but like there's stuff like that I've been finding out while I've been researching that pilot and it's just like fascinating to me well yeah i'm sure kind of like what you were saying you find out about a bunch of amazing people that did a lot of amazing things and yet we don't know about them as much as we know about picking names out of a hat like lewis and clark and george washington who also did amazing things but yeah and i think like superheroes in a way are also trailblazers and like a lot of times their stories can be used to talk about similar things I think we went far afield from the superhero. I think we discussed everything. I think we solved the world's issues. I think... I think if you're just... curious about any of my pilots, let me know. Well, that leads me to my final question. Where can yeah. we find you on the interwebs so we can read said pilots, so we can watch said pilots? Well, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, I guess. But like all my handle is the same across all of them. So it's like it's just W Chen, essentially. So I-T-S-J-E-S-S-W-C-H-E-N. And yeah, if you're curious about my stuff, let me know. I hope one day we'll be able to see them on the television. (laughs) When? When we see them on the television. So follow her now. I will hyperlink all of those social media links and her official website. If you want to see a much less heavy thing, go watch Please Help and the Georgia Comedy. Please Help is very funny. It's low, what I like to call like, low anxiety stakes it's not yes. low stakes it's low anxiety stakes yes so you're and if interested, you're but you're not like oh god who's gonna die <laughs> well the thing is it's low anxiety stakes if you weren't living through it like we were so like that's fair because like please help is based on a real life situation where all four of us nearly lost our jobs because <laughs> so, all four of us were entertainment writers at this one company whose youtube channel please help is housed on and like <laughs> And so, like, uh, we nearly lost our jobs after giving an ultimatum. And so instead of trying to figure out how to do a viral YouTube show, we made a mockumentary series. So if you're a fan of The Office, which two of my coworkers are huge fans of The Office, 
you'll probably like please help <laughs> look at this lady making and her co-writers obviously making yeah. lemonade out of lemons definitely lemons. <laughs> definitely lemons jessica jen yeah always so so lovely talking with you thank you yeah, so much same for with you on. i'm also very honored to be on the season finale that's very cool oh thank yeah. you and that is our show, and that is our season for season three. Thanks so much to Jessica Chen for stopping by. If you were in the Georgia area on December 6th, definitely check out her pilot, Please Help, at the Georgia Comedy Film Festival. We shall hyperlink that below. And, of course, thanks to everyone for listening to this season. Let us know all your things, your comments, your thoughts, your ideas about this episode, about this season, about this show, really anything, on our social media pages. We love to hear from you guys. We are already cooking up next season, so follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for more updates on that. And until then, have a very happy Thanksgiving, a great upcoming holiday season, and of course, as always, stay safe and keep watching movies. See you next time. I've got plenty to be thankful for I haven't got a great big yacht To sail from shore to shore Still I've got plenty to be thankful for I've got plenty to be thankful for No private car, no caviar No carpet on my floor Still I've got plenty to be thankful for. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to check back every Tuesday for new episodes and be sure to check us out on our Patreon page where you can support the show and get some really cool exclusive stuff for doing it. Special thanks to John F., Feriolo Fencing, LLC, Marianne O'Dwyer, and Helen Rafferty. For news on upcoming episodes, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Girl Presses Play. The show is written, produced, and hosted by Alana Rafferty. Intro music is composed by Asha Iwanowitz, and our logo design is by Mark Sauve. Thanks again. See you next time. Girl Presses Play. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.